This is the Citizen of Heaven podcast number 101, The Internet, Part 2. I am Hal Hammonds, and I am a citizen of heaven, and your embedded correspondent in Satan's world. Thanks for checking in. Is the internet the irresistible and desirable future for the church, or is it the church's doom? What are social influencers, who are they influencing, and for what purpose? We cover this and more in the second half of my conversation with Chris Emerson and Dr. Kenny Embry. Chris preaches for the Lindale Church of Christ in Lindale, Texas, and hosts the Excel Still More podcast. Kenny is an associate professor of communication at St. Leo University in St. Leo, Florida, and hosts the Balancing the Christian Life podcast. This is what I've been hearing. I've been hearing people are actually making a living being social influencers and that thousands of other people are trying to. And why not? Free travel, free food, free tech. It seems like a no-brainer. What it does not sound like is work. And that's the whole point, I suppose. What does it say about our culture that we have turned begging for compliments into a career? And what does it say about us as consumers that we are encouraging it? When it comes to social media influencers, I know some of them, and the ones who are out to get the likes, who are fake and who are self-centered, I don't think they do very well. I think people can see through that. When social influencers are doing it right, they're taking a travel or food blog or whatever, or decoration, and they're offering something people really care about, and they're creating this cool connection with them, and it's going great, and they're getting rewarded for it. That's great, because listen, In a sense, when I think of a healthy social influencer and the life they're living, that's kind of my job. I get checks once a month to share the word of God when it becomes about me. And we all have to, social influencers have to worry about pride. Mm -hmm. And they start to compromise what they're doing and the way they categorize it because it's about them. People notice, people notice when preachers do that too. Yeah. Uh, so there's this fine line about servicing the interest of a captivated audience and them supporting you for it, which is awesome. And you letting that go to your head and deciding that you're actually in the center of this instead of the beautiful thing that you're platforming, which for yeah. preachers should be Christ. And for social influencers, it's whatever. So I think that preachers in particular could kind of study that a little bit and see the difference between the good ones and the bad ones and then retrofit that to what their preaching is about. I am so excited and so much a fan of what I call digital media influencers. I call it the rise of of the YouTube middle class. Let's face it, before this, I mean, I was going to choose a grill, but Brad Pitt was going to have to be the one that was going to do the commercial on it because buying television spots to advertise a grill was too expensive. You weren't going to mess around with somebody that nobody knew. You're going to pay the big bucks to get a big name. With social media, The cost for everything has gone down so much. And just like Chris, I know a lot of people, I interview them for for my classes. Robert Morales, he's known as Traveling Robert. He's a guy in his late 50s, maybe early 60s at this point. He's got a mini Winnebago. He does long-form documentaries on YouTube. Basically, Patreon pays for his travels. He hosts Friday night chat sessions. He's making a living doing this. He's not making millions. He's making a living. And you know what? Good for him. I'm really happy for him. By the way, I mean, I would say each one of us are our own influencer as well. I know what I'm trying to influence my audience to do. And I think you guys are trying to do exactly the same thing. 
as much as we can, we're trying to influence people to reach a, a relationship with Jesus. That's what I'm trying to do. Am I trying to profit off of it? This is an expensive hobby for me. So yeah, I'm going to try and monetize it a little bit. Do I anticipate that I will retire on the proceeds of that? Probably not. If I did, I wouldn't complain. I think Chris is hitting on something. Social media is basically a really good feedback loop on whether you're giving value to an audience or not. I think we haven't figured out how to give people who lead us spiritually very good feedback. They get the feedback in the pulpit, and the pulpit is often, boy, that was a great sermon. But what you'll notice is there's not a great feedback loop on what could get better. I know with my episodes, I look down through every episode and I see what topics actually have a lot more downloads. And I'm thinking there's probably an audience there that needs more of this. I interviewed Phil Robertson not too long ago. He talked about parenting, which was kind of not on my radar. Boy, it is now. Because let me tell you, he tripled every other episode that I've had. That tells me there are a lot of people that are interested in how to parent their children better in the church environment. Didn't Poor know that Phil. going maybe in. They just, maybe they just love Phil. Maybe they thought it was the other Phil. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. And by the way, that's also a possibility. The thing about it is, is now I've got a feedback loop. I know what people are actually interested in me talking about. Whether I decide to go down that road is really my choice. But now I know... I have a pretty good idea of what, what people expect from me. Chris is right. A gospel preacher is the ultimate in social influencer. That's, yeah. that's what we are doing, and whether it's in the pulpit or the podcast or whatever. As far as the world goes, one of the most prominent and successful team of influencers that I have seen in the last 10 years is Chip and Joanna Gaines. Yeah. And I don't think of them in terms of social influencers. I suppose that's probably why I phrased the question the way I did. I think of them as workers, as successful business people, as entrepreneurs. That isn't contraindicated to the idea of being a social influencer. But in a nutshell, they work really, really hard. And it's perfectly obvious that they do. Mm -hmm. How could you possibly do all of these things and not be hard workers? I fear that people look at the sudden fame of the Gaineses and look at PewDiePie or the written link or whatever, it looks really, really easy to get famous. And surely if you've got millions and millions of views, you must be rich. That sounds pretty good to me. I'm at least as smart as those people. I'm going to travel everywhere and, and get people to pick up my bills and have my picture taken at the Louvre or whatever. And I'm going to be a social influencer. If you're trying to improve the world, if you're trying to help people, if you're trying to accomplish something, that's fine. And, and obviously, social media is a great way to do that in the modern day. But if this is just all about me, if this is all about telling people how wonderful I am and how great my lifestyle is, you know, going back to the previous segment and the idea of social media ruining your life, there are a lot of people out there who are legitimately sick. And I don't mean that in a, in a pejorative sense. I mean that in a clinical sense. Yeah. They are suffering from depression. They are suffering from all kinds of anxiety and such because they tie their self-worth to how many likes they get, how many clicks they get, the kind of comments they get on their posts, how many times they're shared. It's not just, it's not even primarily how much money they're making through this. It's how important I am in the eyes of other people. And that can be a really dangerous way to live and certainly not a godly way to live. 
I'm not exactly sure how unhealthy it happens to be. And I don't want to paint with too broad of a brush, but it's not good. It's not moving us forward with regard to moral and spiritual things. First of all, you said contraindicated. I looked it up. That is a real word. Um, <laughs> he shoots, he scores. I read the definition twice. I, I don't even think I understand. I'm reading the definition. I don't think yeah. I understand it. What strikes me about what you're saying, of course, is that it's true even if there was no internet, no social media. Preachers have a lot of discussions like this about pride, about it being about us. We're the guy standing in front of everyone. And so we feed off of positive reinforcement and we struggle with negative reinforcement. Social media, maybe all it's doing is it plays on our weaknesses. It plays into our strengths, but it's the way life has always been, just in a digitally observable way. If somebody's listening to this and they stuck with it this far, please do this. Whatever you think you've learned about the internet today, back it up and take it out of the internet and see if you've also learned it everywhere else. Have you learned it in your own attitude? If you're a preacher, have you learned it in your preaching? Have you learned it in your marriage? Social media's problems are life's problems seen on a computer screen and social media's advantages are real life advantages, just digitized and sped up. Don't separate them as if they're two separate things. There's, it's still you as a part of an experience, either making a difference or not making a difference. Yeah. If you start having those kind of ego problems, one of the things that I would say is get married and then have children. Because one of the things that's going to happen to you real quick is you're not nearly as special as you think you are. And you're not nearly as right as you think you are either. Chris and I have talked about this before. People need to get back to the church buildings. They need to get back to the church buildings because they need to be in a room of other people that don't agree with them. They need to get into a place where they can be nicely called an idiot. The real disadvantage of online is it individualizes an experience. No two of us have the same Amazon homepage. My Amazon homepage has a bunch of Kamado grills on it. Yours doesn't because that's not what you're looking for. The internet customizes an experience for you. And there's an advantage to that, but there's a big disadvantage to that too. Because when everything is customizing itself for you, you have an aggrandized sense of yourself. Chris has an excellent episode on this. I do too, which is all about gratitude. The, the importance of all this is be thankful. The beauty of prayer is you start figuring out you're not that important. And when you start realizing that your way is probably not, number one, the only way, or number two, even the best way, it starts putting a lot of other things in perspective for you. We're all bigger idiots than we think we are. We're also not as bad as we think we are. Don't believe the press on either end of that. You are somebody who's trying. My favorite definition of a good marriage is two people who are still working at it. It's not ends-based. It's process-based. Are my wife and I still fighting? Yeah, because we're still working at the relationship. We're still trying to be good for each other. We don't use the internet to show our weaknesses. We use the internet to show our strengths. I mean, it'd be kind of silly for us to show off all of our weaknesses and such. We may not be actively hiding those things. We may be honest with the world in our dealings. We may be relatively open in our communication, but we're not showing off our weaknesses. And the selfie culture is the most recent and maybe maybe the most extreme example of this. You know, We've got the right angle and we've got the right filter and we've got the right background. We want to make sure that our life out there in the gram is ideal. It's perfect. It's flawless. You wish you were like me. Yeah. And in reality, of course, that's not true. And to a certain degree, I think maybe 
We as consumers play along with that. We don't want to see supermodels with freckles and moles. We want the best of everybody. And we play along with this idea of the perfect reality because it helps us escape our problems. But the fact of the matter is we have always led with our strengths. You know, the amazing thing is on on our first date, I did not tell my wife, my, my future wife, that I was a slob. I did not tell her that all my dirty clothes were on the floor and on the couch. And that's perfectly reasonable. On Facebook, I put pictures of my kids. I am so proud of my son who's got a McDonald's job because it's taught him responsibility. I'm not going to talk about him not cleaning his room. And I think what you're talking about there is inauthenticity. We admire the strengths, but we relate to the struggles. And I think when we share our struggles, that's when we find a group that rallies around us. There is an idea for a podcast. Emerson, take this, please. I want to call it Wonderfully Broken. And it's the idea that none of us go to a gym because we all know once we get to that gym, we're going to be the one who looks the worst out of shape. We're not going to be able to keep up with anybody. And we have that idea that, oh my goodness, I'm, I'm going to stand out. Well, I think that's what happens to people who are thinking about coming to our churches as well. They don't understand that I have this addiction. They don't understand that I have this problem. So I'm going to keep myself at home because they don't understand that I'm broken. And the fact of the matter is everybody there is broken. Everybody has a problem. Everybody has something that they're working on. And Jesus was the answer, but they don't see that part of it. All they see is we're in our nice suits. We've cleaned everybody up and we're sitting in a pew very calmly. Is that inaccurate? No, it's not. I mean, I I threaten my children just like everybody else does. Be quiet. But is that authentic? To a certain extent, it's not. Because once we get back into the car, that's when the fights get started again. And by the way, everybody can relate to that because we all have the same experience. It's kind of hard to be influential in someone's life unless they see both of those things. And that's, they know that Kenny's son does this and he doesn't do that. They're proud of him for this. And they're also maybe a little disappointed in that. And they're wrestling with it. You guys remember the glamor shots of the (laughs) nineties, right? So I think they self-corrected is the word I'd like to use. At first it was like, wow, you're beautiful. Your wife's beautiful. That's, and then they kind of became a caricature of themselves. Like they became self-mocking. Like, if you see one today, you're like, that person's probably not very attractive. They had to go get a glamour shot in order to be attractive. And, you know, I'd rather just see them sitting around the couch, you know, having a Coke with their friends and go, okay, well, that person, that's what they really look like. And I think the selfie cycle has worked itself out. Do you guys remember 10, 15 years ago, there were gobs of them. There were just these perfectly taken photos and these people. And at first you're like, wow, they really are very beautiful. And then after a while, they just became self-mocking I don't know like these people clearly are covering for something there's clearly something wrong with them and it can go the other way too if all they posted was them looking their worst them in the worst situations or in terms of my Facebook friends just posting all things going wrong in their life well that just gets you down that's true that's true like I can't trust that person that person's life's a mess this is why relationships are important we want people to see both aspects of us we want them to see our ups and our downs and preaching very tough about preaching you have to express your confidence and your successes in your life so that people go man i really want to listen to this guy's application of the text because he seems to be applying it well and yet at the same time you can feel elitist 
And then if you decide to counter that by saying, here are all my weaknesses and here are all the things I'm struggling with, then they're going to be like, why should I listen to that guy? He's a mess. Finding a way to balance that to be a true influencer is a super challenge in life. But I just kind of feel like when you build relationships, it auto fixes itself anyway. Like people know me, they know my ups and my downs. Yeah. And they trust me more. And, and I'd like to think that social media is getting to that point. You probably both heard the story about the preacher who goes on the floor, you shaking hands and somebody comes up to him and says, you know, when preachers say that they have their problems too, and they have their weaknesses too, I usually kind of brush that off. When you say it, I really believe it. It's there's a, and there's some truth to that. There is a space for us to be vulnerable and acknowledge that these are things I am working on. I don't necessarily have to get in front of the group and confess to a porn addiction or confess to adultery or whatever to be authentic. But I do think that relating to the struggle, and some people disagree with me on this. I think that's what Paul is saying in Romans 7. This struggle between flesh and spirit is real. And I go through this and I don't always win, but I'm working on it. I'm trying hard. And maybe one of these days I'll lick this thing. But in the meantime, I'm trusting in the grace of God to get me through this. We don't have to be perfect examples in the pulpit. It would be nice if we could get a little closer than we are, but it's not about presenting a perfect persona. Making mistakes is not that big a deal. Being wrong is not that big a deal. We all get things wrong. We all make mistakes. That's okay. Yeah. The thing is, how are you going to respond to this? That's the Cain and Abel story. The Cain and Abel story is not about whether Cain should or should not have killed his brother. We all understand that he shouldn't have killed his brother. But the story is about how do you respond to this step back in your life? You made a mistake. Now, what are you going to do? Are you going to shut the door? Are you going to swing the door wide open? This is your choice. And if we can build a community where we're comfortable with our weaknesses and our communal struggle toward perfection, we'll be able to walk that road a lot more effectively, I think. This is what I've been playing. I've been playing games at Tabletopia and other gaming sites. If my family is not in the mood, I can go online and find total strangers on the other side of town or the other side of the world and play my favorite games with them, in theory. In reality, I've basically decided for me it's a waste of time. I need real human interaction. That's a big part of why I love games in the first place. The internet is the new church house. I can stream any one of thousands of worship services from my couch, either live or on demand. For some, it is an advisable and even needful replacement for regular church attendance. But for some, it has become a crutch, helping them feel better about dissociating from their brethren. How can we make sure that we are still the body of Christ in a digital age? Go ahead, so Chris. You got, you got the juice going. on this one, man. You got the juice. We could go a whole hour on this. How are we going to get this <laughs> to 15 minutes, man? Go ahead. Okay. So that's been a big part of my history the last nine years. We've had live stream at Dowling Road for years, here in Lindale for years. I'll just boil it down and say a couple things because I could say a bazillion things. If you are observing worship outside of the church house at home, you are consuming something and producing nothing. You are purely a consumer. You're taking it in. That's great. That's a big part of church. The big myth of 21st century churches, and I think where we are more Catholic than first century, is the idea that 
church is a place where 95% of the people just come and consume what they need and then leave. The production aspect of the body has been lost. The concept that everyone is an appointed priest and ought to be an influencer and a teacher and a producer has been lost. And while I understand if, you've, if you're sick, if you've got COVID, if you are bound to your home and all you can do is go to the internet and consume something, then do it. But at best, on the best day, you've done 50% of what it means to be a local Christian. I had COVID. I watched from home. We happened to be having a gospel meeting that week. So uh, Jordan Shouse was preaching, which is perfect timing and everything. But, you know, I got done and I thought that was a great sermon, great service. But all I did was consumed. I didn't I gave nothing. So I started texting. I'm like, man, that was a great Lord's Supper talk, great song service. Like I felt like I had to contribute or was it even worship? Is it even worship if you don't contribute? Now, there are people who come and don't sing. I don't know what's wrong with those people. But this is like the new form of coming but not singing, except you just stay home. Like your voice isn't becoming a part of it. So to me. Livestream has its value. It's used by congregations across the country who don't have local preachers who can't get out. That's beautiful and wonderful. They can sing in that room together. It has many benefits for those who are homebound. But if you have any form of an option to be at worship and you choose to stay home and observe over some irrational fear, hey, I don't care if it's a rational fear, you still have to answer to God for choosing to consume and neglecting the greater matter of being a producer. I just think the church in general has totally messed this up. We build beautiful buildings. We have super plush pews. We pay a guy and give him a title, clergy slash preacher. And he's just going to feed you and you just drink it in and leave. Like we've made it a consumer sport. Yeah. And now we're reaping the digital punishment for that. Chris and I actually disagree a little bit about this, but I, I don't think that in, in actuality, the, the, the practical application is any different. I think worship is just basically the acknowledgement that God is over you. I think one of the things, and this is one of the things that I, I feel very strongly about, that spiritual maturity, in my opinion, is made up of seven things, and only one of them is learning. That's what Chris is talking about, the consumption of and learning about. But the, the greater part, in my opinion, is doing. We keep on learning about Jesus, and we never do anything with him. The great criticism that I would have about Christianity 2019 is it was awfully building-centric. Anything that had any consequence amazingly happened at the building. Christians have gotten way too comfortable having another Bible study, but not actually going out and teaching people. They've not done a lot, but they sure have learned a lot. Where Chris and I line up on this is... Christians need to be doing more. They need to be producers. I completely agree with that. Consumerism was at the building before the internet was created. Before the pandemic came, there was a small percentage of people that did all the work. And there was a group of people who felt like the pinnacle of Christianity was three times a week sitting and listening and learning exactly what you're saying. Yeah. And so for those people, the idea of sitting at home just comes natural. And then honestly, what I'm saying is to elders and preachers is we taught them this. We taught them that, you know, as long as you're sitting and listening and learning, even if you're at home, like that's the pinnacle of the non-paid Christian position. The building can be the centerpiece, like Kenny said, but only because it's the place where I can love people and serve people and learn about people and do things for people. And yeah, well, I think we're actually in, in pretty much total agreement. I just, I'm just madder about it.
<laughs> you know, I would say this as well. I mean, it, it comes from a natural impulse. The most expensive thing that we've got is the building. We would put a lot of attention on that, on that thing that takes so much of our resources. So I, I get it. But I think one of the blessings of, of coronavirus is this. It's asking us to reevaluate what we mean by worship. I know a lot of people who are working as hard as they can to get back to 2019 Christianity without recognizing the problems of 2019 Christianity. They want to say, well, we were perfect before all this, and we're going to get perfect right after all this, after that vaccine gets out. Look, there were problems in 2019, too. I think Chris articulated this really well. I don't remember you said this, Chris. There are people who should have been teaching their kids at home, but they weren't. And all of a sudden, when there wasn't a Sunday morning Bible class for their kids, their kids weren't learning. That's a breakdown of the family. That's not a breakdown of the church. Like both of you are saying, I'm not sure exactly how much has changed. I think we have a better view of the way we always have been with regard to participation and the people that we're worried about because they are not coming to church services when it seems as best we can tell they should and could do it if they really wanted to. Those are the same people who were sitting in the pews, half asleep, mumbling their way through the song service, arriving five minutes late, leaving during the invitation song. They weren't engaged anyway. And now they're not engaged from a distance. Serving Jesus is always about giving your best or should be. If the best you can do, in all honesty, if the best that you can do is watch a screen, then watch a screen. But I would offer to you that unless you are suffering some kind of horrible, debilitating disease, you're in a hospital bed or whatever, there is more that you can do than that. My own late father-in-law and others who were in the hospital bed, dying of cancer, checking on people whose faith was weak, people who were not serving as they should. There is something that you can offer the Lord. There's something that you can offer your brethren. Like Chris was saying about being a consumer rather than a producer. Mm-hmm. Does your phone not work? You're able to post on the internet about your cat videos. Can you post a link to the sermon, to a link to the podcast or whatever? If you have an internet connection, there are dozens of things that you can do with virtually no effort. Yeah, that will participate somewhat, not the same thing by any means as what you would do under normal circumstances, hopefully, but it's something. There are legitimate one-talent people out there. There's nothing wrong with being a one-talent person as long as you use the one talent. This is not a vacation. The governor didn't give us a break from serving our brethren because of COVID. There is a way that you can participate and serve and be effective if you want to find that way. The question is whether we want to. Everyone is an influencer. If you're someone who has been staying home, you've influenced people by that decision. If you're someone who is a producer, obviously you're influencing by the people that you're helping and, and the way you're reaching out and using your, your abilities. But I just wish everybody understood that what they choose to do or not to do it influences people. It makes a difference. And we're going to see that as we get through this pandemic thing. Uh, There's a lady at our church who is young. She's in her fifties and she has terminal cancer and it's been a incredibly difficult battle. She knows Sunday, unlike a lot of people who are perfectly healthy, but scared of an especially dangerous influenza. Mm -hmm. She was there. She was laying there 
on a pillow, barely able. She had to get up in the middle and go out. So we had to escort her out and she came back in. She made a mess. She will always have made a massive impact by how important being with God's people is to her. The things you do, they matter. They contribute to a church culture. And we haven't talked about the church in general, but what's the church culture at Lindale? The church culture that we love to be at worship. We love to be involved in each other's lives. And it feels really strange to just be at home and purely consume. The hardest part about changing a culture is getting every member to understand that you are a part of that culture. One of the things that I've heard over and over again is that basically COVID has, has accelerated the people that we're going to lose anyway. And, and I think that that narrative is, is true to an extent. But one of the things that's happened is there were a lot of people that were just kind of fringe anyway because they were growing up. And I think we are losing them as well because they weren't as strong as they needed to be to weather a storm like this. And by the way, that's not a function of going to a building. To get to the church where I go, I probably passed three other congregations that would be just as good. But I passed them because I want to be with that group because they have some kids my kid's age. We have started sorting ourselves into interests and not geography. And I think the internet is just the next iteration of these are the people I'm interested in being a part of. Why? They probably think a lot like I do. So true. That's like the truest thing that's been said right there. That last thing is so, so true. And I don't know what to do with it. I wrestle with it. I mean, you know, worship services has been redefined. The term worship service now means a place where I go to worship to get serviced in a way that pleases me. And I don't mean that as nefariously. I mean, like Kenny said, it, it pleases him because it services what he believes to be the needs of his kids. And, and there's room for that. But worship service ought to be a place I go to worship God and serve people. Can it be both, though? I mean, and I think Kenny would be both. He's a person who contributes, but he also gets what he needs for his family. I would think that a guy like Kenny or Hal really want to make sure that stays in balance. I want to go because I love the way that this church helps to service the needs of my family. And at the same time, the only way I belong here is if I also am someone who is leading, teaching, helping, serving, contributing. And it's a balance. So we're not saying we want people to quit being consumers and just become a producer. You'll burn out. Yeah, But there's got to be this beautiful, this beautiful mixture. And I just have this very optimistic view of what the church can be if we can have a new reformation, a reset. I love this book, Jack Wilkie's book, Church Resets, the best thing I've put my eyes on outside of the Bible in five years, where he's just like, let's reset back to first century churching where nobody had a need, Acts 4. Can you believe that? Yeah. Nobody had a need. Why did nobody have a need? Because those who had more sold or gave to those who didn't everybody shared yeah they which means people had to take i did an episode on this a few weeks ago givers have a really difficult time receiving yeah uh, and receivers have a super difficult time giving we've got to create that mixture I, I believe we can i think it's intentional culture creation a good coach knows that he has to create the culture that he wants that team to be i think we could learn a lot from sports we have to go in and start creating a culture and not just wait for the culture to enter the doors. We have to be the body of Christ. We look at people who get drafted by this great team and they serve their three years and they contribute and they win a Super Bowl or whatever. And, and now it's contract renegotiation time and I have to do what's best for me. I have to take care of myself. And we say, 
So you're saying that $2 million a year is not good enough. You've got to make three and a half million dollars a year. And to do that, you're going to go play for the enemy. We hate you now. You've changed, <laughs> you've changed jerseys and now we hate you. And we have such contempt for that kind of attitude. Don't you have enough already? Aren't you happy being part of, I would love to be part of the team that you're part of, Yeah. but they serve themselves better in some other place. We are simply a collection of body parts. If we can get back to the idea of what every joint supplies, respecting everybody, regarding everybody, doing the best we can where we are, and all for the common good of serving Jesus and serving one another. That's not what the church can do for us, what we can do for the church. If we get into this service mentality, the apostles, the apostle Paul and others to just beat us over the head with this imagery. We are constantly told that this is about serving other people like Jesus served you. Yes, I am really glad Jesus served me, but see, I got this stuff in my life. I don't really have much to give. What I really need is for the church to help me. That kind of mentality has characterized the church from the beginning, I suppose. Maybe, you know, Chris indicated from Acts 4, maybe in the early days they didn't have it, but it didn't take long to get it. I really think that if we can get past that, get to thinking about other people, have this mind in you that was also in Christ Jesus, if we can get past this selfish approach to the church and, and get to serving our brethren, like allegedly we're serving Jesus, this problem ought to fix itself. I'm just incredibly optimistic for what the church can be. And I think that when we get through some of these breakthroughs and we, we see it differently, it'll change everything. I'm working on a lesson on Caleb and Joshua. Uh, Caleb and Joshua, great guys. I mean, they, they wanted to do all these beautiful things and have the land and they had super faith and they were pretty influential, but without the team on board, without all the others, they failed just straight up downright failed to do what God wanted them to do. God still blessed them, but later, 40 years later, they're still as valiant as they were. They're still trying hard, except now you have a whole bunch of soldiers around you who are like, Hey, we're ready to help. And then they did it. And I look at the church and the sort of the 90-10 rule and the 10% of people who are working really hard and they're burning out and they're pushing through discouragement and they keep lifting the weights and they're trying to move this blob of 90, 80, 90% of people, you know, and there's a lot of failure. And I don't know who gets to blame for that. I think the workers probably blame themselves for not being good enough workers. I know preachers do all the stinking time, blame themselves. But if we can change the culture to everyone contributes and we can just, you don't have to be a leader. You don't have to be a Joshua or Caleb, just be a soldier with a sword in his hand. Like we just need some numbers. You can do unbelievable things in the church. I believe that I'm ready to take over the whole town of Lindell, every single square inch of it, but you're going to have to have everybody get into service working mode. But I I think we can, I just, I look at Caleb's story. He was ready when they were ready. God reorganized things called it out. Boy, did he call it out? They buried 40 men a day for 38 years. He called that thing out. And then they all got to working together and changed their world. So I, I like to end this with, you know, some positivity on where slight change can, can take us. It's really small things that make a big difference. It's the guy who's opening the door at church. It's the guy who's helping the old ladies get in from out of the rain. Those are the guys who are doing the important work. You've been listening to the Citizen of Heaven podcast. Thank you for your support. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe through your favorite podcast platform and or on YouTube. Comments, corrections, and suggestions are always welcome. Please feel free to follow me through Facebook, MeWe, Parlor, or Instagram, or check out my webpage, www.halhammonds.com. Until next time, be strong and courageous. 
fight the good fight of faith, and do all things in the name of the Lord Jesus. This is Hal Hammonds, the Citizen of Heaven, signing off.